happen in the new birth and all these kind of things and we'll look at and discuss some of those things. It's only five chapters and you know there's a lot more days in the month of um, of April so we should have plenty of time to read the book of First John. Amen. First John starting in the month of April because one of the things that we want to do of course is promote reading of the Bible here at the church. Okay. Um, right. We will get there. I mean, I wanted some of that. One of the things I would institute if your partner was here is, uh, you know, do the uh, midweek um, challenge and everything. If you recall, when we did that last time, Nat won. And uh, I think you just quit. <laughs> Y'all know Nat that comes on Sunday. She was able to just, she's quoting that scriptures. I was like, girl, you better get it. If you didn't know better, I would think, well, you know, which one grows in the house with me? All right. Well, well, we'll look at some of those things, definitely. We'll definitely look at some of those things. All right. I'm going to wait about uh, two more minutes. Is that all right? Two more minutes. I will say this again. The goal of our church, um, the goal of our church and the goal of our ministry is redemption, understanding, application, and, product, and reproduction, rather. The goal, if you will, what we're looking to do as a church body is, of course, begin in this area of redemption. If somebody could hit that, that one right there for me. Thank you so much. Um, and I did fix it on the computer, but I didn't go over that, so don't worry about it. Amen. Okay. It's all good. The goal of our church, again, is redemption, understanding, application, and, reproduc and reproduction. Reproduction. Redemption, of course, ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone is the goal here. Get born again. And after that, we want you to walk in understanding. The Bible says, in all of your getting, get understanding. Proverbs 4 and verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Putting a premium on getting understanding essentially means get comprehension. Comprehension of the Word of God. And then when you apply what you comprehend from the Word of God, that is defined as wisdom, operating in the wisdom of God. And so it is important for us that we understand as a church body that redemption is, of course, first and foremost. It is coming into the kingdom of God. And then the next area is this area of understanding or comprehension of God's word, which is the reason why this church is commissioned to do a tremendous amount of teaching of the word of God, teaching the word of God. And so, you know, for those that come, they're like, well, when he's going to start hooping? Well, that's not my assignment here. My assignment is to teach the word of God. And so it, that does mean that, you know, if, if you're not accustomed to using more than one scripture, then, you know, we, it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. We are very patient. We'll wait on you. Amen. 
And that's, again, because understanding is a goal of this church. That's the reason why I want to emphasize the fact that this year I'm placing a high emphasis on every month we read a book. Every month we read a book. Listen to a book. That's why I gave you some things and some tools so that you can listen to the word as well. The Bible uh, experience is a great I would de define this one as a non-denominational church. Non-denominational church. We're not hooked up with any uh, mainline denomination, uh, as some are. You know, so we are. You know, we are. We have, of course, we have a, a covering, if you will, but we are a non-denominational church. We're not a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, etc. We're, we are, simply. They would classify us as a non-denominational church. All right. All right. Amen. Are we good? All right. Let's get going here. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word on this evening. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Father, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords, think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me, all of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone to say amen. Let's make this confession. We say, Father, I've come to receive. I know your mouth might be a little full, but it's all right. Revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen. All right. So once again, the goal of our church, redemption, understanding, application, applying what you understand, which is operating in the wisdom of God. And of course, reproduction. This has everything to do with the Great Commission. Go therefore, he says, and make, out of the New International Version, make disciples, make disciples of all nations. And so one of the things I think that we got to make sure that we do as a church, we make sure we do as a body of Christ, is put a high emphasis on discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more like Jesus. A lot of churches place a high emphasis, and they should, on the area of evangelism, and we should. We absolutely should place a high premium on winning folks to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can even use it as a term as recruiting them for the kingdom of God. But when we recruit them into the kingdom of God, they come on in, they surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we should, after that point, put a high premium on discipleship. Understanding how it is to walk and live by faith. And one of the reasons why we're doing this faith uh, refresher series is because of the fact, you know, God says in his Bible, in the word of God in Hebrews, that the just shall live by faith. He also indicates to us that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. Now, I say that because, you know, there is a lot of messages that are going forth. There's nothing wrong with it. I think, you know, they're of God and everything. But I think we got to make sure we understand that when God says it's impossible to please him apart from faith, then there's something we need to pay attention to. 
It's impossible to please God apart from walking and living by faith. And I submit to you the reason why it's impossible to please God apart from living by faith is because it's impossible to please anyone in a relationship or have a relationship with anyone where there is not faith in the individual person. I have confidence. I got married 19 years ago in July and uh, it was a transaction of faith that you say you're committing to me, I'm committing to you. For the rest of our lives, it's gonna be me and you. It, I have nothing that I can point to tangible other than this license they gave me from the state that indicates that we're married, but it's a faith contract, essentially, yes? So what do you do if you're like a Christian, but then you're married someone who's- Well, that's the reason why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, which, essentially means that Paul warns against doing that. You should not do that. And then he goes on to say, what fellowship does light have with darkness? So again, linking with people that are not believers is something that believers should not be doing. Unfortunately, that is also happening all the time as people compromise and compromise in their walk with God. Which is the reason, again, I'm going to say this one more time and then we're going to move on. He says, go ye therefore and make disciples, make disciplined ones, make disciplined followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we spent almost a month and a half talking about that in the first of this year, if you recall. Amen. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Let's get started. Scripture says, I'm going to read through this really quick. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we've essentially said faith means, it says first, faith is. Now is, meaning it is always present tense. If I used to have faith, that means you are not actively in faith. It is always active. It is always dynamic. It is always working. It is always alive. When you say you believe you received something and you say, I believe God's going to do something, that means you're not in active faith. You believe that you receive when you say amen. This is a small part, but this is a big part where people miss it. When they're saying, well, I'm believing God for this area. Well, if we're going to walk by faith, when we find a promise from the word of God and we get ourselves in an area of prayer, we believe that we receive it right now. We see anything in manifestation. Faith is. It's always in the now. He says, substance of things hoped for, which indicates to us that faith has a composition. We said that composition of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So hope is the aspiration of the good. And the evidence is substantiation. So I cannot just hope that God's going to do something. I need to find some in the word of God that covers my particular situation. Which is the reason why, once again, we looked at the scripture where it says he's given us all things that pertain into life and godliness, but he indicates through a knowledge of him. He also indicates to us in Hebrews that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So this must be that God rewards people that are not lazy. Once again, when we're talking in terms of discipleship, that means a disciplined one is someone that is active in their faith, seeking the face of God, seeking the word of God as a routine lifestyle and not a one-time event. Amen? 
All right, and then we've also added this latter part into our definition from the book of James, where he says faith without corresponding works, if you will, is dead. He says in James 1 and verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he says, deceiving your own self. Because a lot of people are deceiving themselves because they say, well, I heard it, but you ain't doing any corresponding actions to your faith. Faith in its completed form, therefore, faith in its completed definition is hope, evidence, and actions. Can we agree on that? Hope, the aspiration of the good. Then we got to find some evidence from the word of God, a promise that covers the situation I'm believing God for. And then we need to be active, do something. I.e., um, doing, when you believe in God, perhaps, you know, to be healed in your physical body. One of the things I, I found very interesting when COVID first started, right? One of the things they said if for folks that had COVID is that COVID likes to have you lay down and not move. And that's the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do, even while you're tired, is to do something, move, move around, do something, because it allows your body to start recovering. I heard that and I thought, man, that's interesting because that's exactly what God asks us to do. When you're saying, God, I believe for my healing, do something. It might be something very small, insignificant, but I'm doing something. I'm doing what I know to do that I received the promises of God in my life. I'm believing God for a job. I'm believing God perhaps to start something. I do what I know to do by put corresponding actions to what is my faith. And then you have a completed definition. It's the reason why it's very interesting when you ask people, what were you believing for? Well, I, if you're believing for a particular area in your life, then there should be an associated plan. If you say, I'm believing that God's gonna do this in my life. I'm believing that my family's gonna have this. The next question I'm gonna ask you is, if God blesses you today, are you prepared? Do you have a plan? Have you written it down? Do you have actions that correspond with what you say you believe? Therein lies the issue. Sometimes we are, we're spiritual in the sense of, oh God, I believe I receive, but you ain't doing nothing. And God, and let me say it like this, we gotta sometimes give God something to bless. God, you find me actively engaged in doing something on the level that I am on so that when you say, okay, it's time for the next step, that I'm prepared. This area is called faithfulness. You cannot say that you're operating in faith and not have faithfulness in your life. What is faithfulness? Reliability. Sometimes that is the issue that we have, that we are not reliable. We have to become people that God himself can rely on us. You know, this reason why God says about Abram, he's a friend of God. Because Abraham, one thing we know, he's going to be doing the last thing God told him to do. Having said that, you should have in your Bible, Romans chapter number four. Romans chapter number four. We've said the characteristics of faith is that faith is a relationship. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a journey, a mindset. It is a spiritual force. The characteristics of faith, it is 
characterized as first a relationship. And on Sunday, we looked at the fact that the reason why uh, I believe that God did not introduce the spiritual force of faith to Abraham first is because he had to work on the condition of Abraham's heart first which is the establishment of the relationship. Now, I submit to you, when you're learning how to walk by faith, that's the first area that God's gonna work on you with, establishing the relationship with you and him, so that you have a basis by which to believe him for, amen? Now, Romans chapter number four, let's look at that. Romans chapter number four. Do you have it? I have the King James Version of the Bible. It says, verse number 16, because there's nothing on the screen. All right. It says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end. The promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. In other words, Abraham becomes the template of faith for us to be able to follow. Is essentially what this entire this chapter is talking about. He says, verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations before him, uh, before him whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead, and notice the term, and calls those things that be not as though they were. Call it those things that be not as though they were. It's an aspect of the spiritual force of faith. Calling things that be not as though they were. Now, calling things that be not as though they were has a root element to it. And that's the reason why I keep emphasizing this. Because you hear a lot of people today using the terminology, we're just going to speak it. We're just going to speak into the atmosphere. And that is true. There is an aspect of that that's absolutely spot on. But some of the things that concerns me when I hear people say that is we're not just speaking anything. We should be speaking a promise from God that he's already said in his word. Speaking the word that's been established in our heart from the word of God is where we are not trying to get God to do something. We are speaking the word from God that is of God and God backs his own word. The Bible says that the angels hearken to the word of God. Well, the word of God coming forth out of your mouth is what when we're talking about speaking into the atmosphere, we're talking about it in terms of you speaking in from the abundance of your heart, which is located and rooted in God's word. And we'll probably talk about on Sunday the fact that faith is not magic. Because we got to get some balance in regards to some of this stuff that I'm hearing, because I think some of this stuff is starting to become religious cliches and is void of power in a lot of our lives because we're trying to act like other people and we don't have it yet first established in our own hearts. That's the reason why, once again, I said, and I'll emphasize this one more time, that the spiritual force of faith calling things that be not as though they were was established with Abraham at age 99, not 75. Because God was interested in establishing him in his heart first, I submit to you. He says, and call it those things which be not as though they were. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. Against all the odds, Abraham still yet believed that he might be, watch this, the father, or he might become the father of many nations according uh, to that which was spoken. 
so shall thy seed be. Watch this, verse number 19. It says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of spirit's womb. So what is weak faith? According to, the, we just look at this scripture and dissect it. Weak faith is when you consider the natural circumstances more than what God said. The scripture says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Dare I say, he considered not the natural circumstances of, have, of having that become more important than what God said. And I submit to you, and I'm going to show you this in just a few minutes, that anytime you get a word from God, expect the natural circumstances to quickly change. See, this is right here. Expect the natural circumstances to quickly change to contradict what God said. As soon as God gives you a word, he tells you what to do, whether it's a rhema word, a word spoken from God, or a word of promise that you find in the scriptures where the Holy Ghost just says, that's it, that's for you. You can expect your natural circumstances around you to change immediately. Why? Because the devil knows if you ever bring that word from the unseen realm into manifestation, now you'll have a template of how to do this thing in your life. That God could do this, do it next time. He did this last time. Now you got something where the relationship that you have with God begins to build. I let case in point, because there's some that, that struggle with this. You make a declaration. I saw this with a sister a year ago. She said, I'm to start going to church. Yes, I am. I'm going to start going. And then little by little, she saw stuff happen here. Stuff happened there. No, it didn't happen on Friday. It didn't happen on Saturday. It always was Sunday mornings. Because once you make a declaration of faith that, yeah, I'm going to do something in compliance, in agreement with what God says, so the devil says, I got to quickly get on them before they start to see the positive results of that quality decision. So the circumstances will start changing. So don't be surprised at that. He says, and not being weak in faith, he considered not. So when the circumstances change to contradict the faith that I'm believing, the thing that I'm believing for, consider the circumstance, just like Abraham, his own body, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now notice this, verse number 20. He staggered not at the promises or the promise of God through unbelief. He staggered not at the promise of God and the uh, King James used the term through unbelief. This scripture used to bother me because all you gotta do is flip back and find a young child named Ishmael. And I'm like, wait a minute now. What do you mean he staggered not at the promises of God when I clearly see some staggering? We had a whole child because of staggering. There were several times Abraham is like, Abraham's like, no, that ain't my wife, that's my sister. Stagger. We see multiple times, Genesis chapter 15, where he says, Lord, I'm rich and everything, and the person that's going to inherit my money and my stuff is my least servant because you ain't gave me a child yet. Stagger. But I saw it one day because because I, I was meditating on this and the Lord said, you gotta look at this again. He said, he staggered out of the promises of a God, not that he didn't doubt, but he says through unbelief. 
Unbelief is not doubt. Doubt is not unbelief. They're two different things. Sometimes we, we act like they're the same thing. To doubt God is one thing. To operate in unbelief is something completely different according to scripture. And we'll get there in just a sec. But he says, both with strong in faith, giving glory to God. So strong faith gives glory to God. Now we say we want to have a life that's pleasing to God. Well, God's looking for us to operate in strong faith. Strong faith gives glory to God. God wants something that he can point to. That gives him glory. I was thinking about it again. Um, just in the building where we are right now. A year ago, there was no paint on the wall. We were believing God for the, the ceilings to be painted black, much less to get some, some paint on the walls. The idea of concept of putting some trim up was, was a, a, a thought, but you know we weren't nowhere near it. But now we are in manifestation of what we started a year ago. Two years from now, we'll be down the road further from what God has done in those years that we say, look at what the Lord has done. Well, these things give glory to God. And so it is at church, so it should be in your own life that as you begin to develop, as you begin to expand, as God begins to expand your influence, these things give God glory with your life because he's pointing to your life as someone that's submitted. He says, verse 21, and being fully persuaded, that is the key. He staggered out of the promise of God through unbelief, but who was strong of faith, strong of faith, giving glory to God. And then it says, he and being fully persuaded, fully persuaded what he had promised he was able to perform. This is the establishment of your heart. Being fully persuaded that what God promised you, he's able to perform. That means that I don't have any side hookups. God, what you promised me, I know, I believe that you're able to do this in my life. Now, I want you to write this down. I got this this afternoon. Trust means, trusting God means trusting his heart for you. But trusting God also means trusting his means or his welfare Trusting his means or his welfare uh, for you as well. Trusting God means trusting, therefore, also his methods and his methods towards you and for you. Let me say that again. Trusting God means trusting his heart for you, his means or his welfare of you that's been provided for you. And trusting God means, lastly, his methods towards you and for you. I trust you in these areas. And until you're able to say, yes, I trust God first, your heart for me, then if that's not the case in a particular area in your life, this is an area where God will begin to work on you. Trusting his means, his welfare, his ability. He says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able. God was able to perform it. There was a song that uh, came out a couple years ago. I know it rang around the church. He's able. Still love that song. God is able to do just what he said he would do. It's a wonderful song. The question you got to ask yourself is, do you believe that? I know God can prosper you. I know God can heal you. I know God can do these wonderful things. Do you believe that for you in your life right now? And to trust God means to trust his methods towards you and for you. Like right now, I'm in the middle of 
trusting God and his methods because there are certain things that are going on in my own life that I'm just like, yeah, this ain't exactly the way I wanted to go, Lord. I'm just, I'm just saying you didn't ask. I didn't, you know, I don't remember meeting you in the midnight hour and us getting a vote on which direction we were going. And I would have said, I object to this direction, Lord. You know, since we're having a meeting about what, what we want to do with our life here, uh, this is not exactly the road I want to take. So, sir, I object. And a lot of people do that. Lord, I object. And God says, okay, fine. Do it your way. Now, when you get done doing it your way and you can't figure out why is it that you don't have this inner peace on the inside of you or you seem to have struggle even in the midst of potentially even success, I mean, dear God, we just saw a young man slap somebody on stage. I mean, at the height. Now, I will say this, and I wrote this online, and I want to explain this. Let me say this as a side journey. If the Lord give you a word for me, I want you to call, call pastor up, okay? Because I don't want to be messed up somewhere crying, talking about, you know, he said at your highest moment. That's when the devil comes for you. Denzel was absolutely correct. Yes, he was. But don't, don't want the word after the fact. You got to work, call me up on Saturday night, Friday night, and say, hey, man, I want to tell you something. So that the moment when I think about going up on stage, slapping somebody on public, and changing the, the, the course of my whole career, I can consider the word that you got. And that's one of the things I, I wanted to admonish you. Let's be quick to obey. Maybe God gave you a word. Maybe God tells you something. And you think, man, they ain't going to listen to me. They're not, they not interested in anything I got to say. Your job is not about reception. Your job is about delivery. Go do what God told you to do. And whether or not they listen to it, that's on them. Whether or not they respond to it, that's on them. My job was to tell you what thus saith the Lord. And when you go down there, if he tell you to go down there and say, yeah, 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 the Lord would say, fine. A lot of times God will tell you to just go down there and tell them certain, and tell them in a way that they will receive it. And sometimes that's not a yeah, 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 the Lord would say. I just... And I've thought all week, I'm just like, Lord, what if Denzel had given Will that word on Sunday morning? You know, at your highest moment, the devil's going to come for you at that moment. Would that have changed the trajectory of what happened Sunday evening? And sometimes I wonder, like even a couple weeks ago when I heard about the sister that uh, committed suicide in the Ikea parking lot over in Charlotte, I wonder how many Christians were in the parking lot that day? How many Christians were in Ikea that, that were interested in getting their stuff out of Ikea that they weren't interested in hearing God say, I want you to go out to the parking lot. I know you don't know where you're going. I know you don't know what you're doing. But I want you to slide over here to the parking lot and stand here for a few minutes. Are we quick to obey God? Again, what are we talking about? Operating by faith. Faith is hope, evidence, and actions. You say, well, I hope I heard God. Well, the Bible tells me in the word that his children hear his voice. I'm one of his sheep. The Bible tells me that I'm one of his children, so I hear his voice. I have evidence. So I hope that was God. God's never going to tell me to do something that has sin attached to it, but always has righteousness attached to it. 
So why don't I give action to what I say I believe and just take the step? Take the step to go out and just say, you know what? There's nothing, well, that's the reason why I was talking about the rich reward. There's nothing to be lost. There's nothing to be lost. If you go up and say, hey, I, I, I just want to tell you, you know, something, you know, take it as you will. And, and you're gone. Deliver what God told me to do. You know, essentially that's what we do here on Sundays. I do this as an act of my faith that we record, we, we, we broadcast as a word in response to the action or actions in response to the word that God gave us. Don't know where it goes. Don't know what happens with it, but we're doing the assignment. And that's what all God calls us to do in our individual lives. Okay, all right, so that went somewhere different. <clears throat> Faith is relationship. Let's look over, we're gonna look at a story. I'm gonna spend the bulk of the evening looking at this story over in John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. John chapter Amen. number 11. We got napkins in the back. John chapter number 11. We're gonna go through this story concerning Lazarus and his raising. We of course know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but we wanna kinda of examine this particular passage of scripture and understand some aspects in regards to doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief, are you ready? Verse number 11, let's look at this story. He says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Verse number two, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Let me hold there really quick and let me read this. <clears throat> Actually, let's keep going. I'll, I'll go there in just a sec. Verse number three says, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Your dear friend, I think the King James used the term, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this is not somebody Jesus is unacquainted with. This is somebody that the New Living Translation, which I'm reading here, says is a dear friend of Jesus. He's sick. Jesus knows about the current circumstance that's taking place with not an associate, but a dear friend of his. Jesus is a representative of what the Father looks like in our life. Now watch this, verse number four. It says, and when Jesus heard about it, he, notice the term, said. He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, no. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God would receive glory from this. Now, Jesus' dear friend Lazarus is having a circumstance. He knows the whole family. Lazarus is a dear friend. He knows his sisters, Mary and Martha. He receives word in our time. Lazarus had just gone into the hospital and Lord is bad. Jesus responds to the circumstance and he says, he said, Lazarus will, uh, Lazarus sickness will not, notice the term out of the New Living Translation, he says, will not end in death. What is the concept being deposited here? Faith speaks the end from the beginning. He says, the sickness that Lazarus is experiencing currently, the end result will not be death. But notice he never said Lazarus would not die. He said the end result, which is faith speaking, 
will not be death. When you have an impossible situation, this is what it means to call things that be not as though they were. He says, the end result will be this, even though the circumstance we understand did change. Faith calling things that be not as though they were. Now for that, let's look back over here, hold your place there, and mark 11 and verse number 23 and 24. Jesus said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Mark 11 verse 23 says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, or say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and notice the term, and shall not doubt in his heart. Once again, it's the reason why we got to understand that speaking or calling things that be not as though they were has everything to do with the location and the position, or the location and the condition, rather, of your heart. He says, but shall believe that those things that he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, verse 24, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Jesus, you hear that your, your, your dear friend, Lazarus, is sick. Jesus opens his mouth and says, the end of the circumstance, the situation from the very beginning. Let's keep going. Verse number five. And so although Jesus loved, verse five out of John chapter 11, says, although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now this seems to be interesting every time I read this, right? John, because we've all read this story this moment, I know. Amen. Glory to God. John says, essentially, this is not an associate. He's a dear friend of Jesus. He hears that his dear friend is having an issue. And Jesus opens his mouth, speaking by faith, the thing that's going to happen at the beginning, the end result, right? But he stays in the place where he was two more days. So he calls things that be not as though they were, and then he's not moved from the current position of where he was, right? Two more days he stays where he is. Oftentimes I wonder when I see this, you know, when you call things that be not as though they were, when you speak the word of God or believe God for a promise, and it takes two days, will you give up on your faith and say, well, it's just not working? Jesus stays where he, he speaks the word, and he stays where he was two days, two additional days after he heard it. Now watch this, verse number seven. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse number eight, but his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, it's only, only a few days ago that the people of Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? In other words, they were getting, getting ready to kill you, Lord, over there in Jerusalem, in Judea, I'm sorry. He said, but you're trying to go back there? Verse number nine, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight uh, every day during the day for people to walk safely. And then he says, they can see because they have the light of this world. Verse number 10, but at night there's a danger of stumbling because they have no light. And then he goes back into what's going on. He says, then he said, our friend, you know, the one I love, Lazarus, notice the term, has fallen asleep. But now I go to wake him. Now what is sleep? That's not a throwaway line. What is sleep? 
Hmm? What now? I, I can't hear you. Resting, yes. So that means y'all on the back row, you know. <laughs> just, just, I'm like, everybody's on the back row. I'm just, <laughs> amen. <laughs> I said, this thing has wheels, I might start pushing it on. <laughs> All right. Sleep is rest, right? But I submit to you, sleep also here represents a temporary condition, not a permanent one. Notice what Jesus said. Then he said to our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I go to wake him. He has fallen into a temporary condition, but now I go to wake him. I submit to you, we still see Jesus speaking faith, right? Now watch the next verse. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will uh, soon get better. They completely missing it. Then verse, verse 13, he says, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Now, the reason why I point this out is because he didn't say Lazarus had died. He says first he's sleeping because sleep represents a temporary condition because Jesus said this sickness that he has will not result or end in death. Now watch this, verse number 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now. I want to point this out because when you are speaking by faith, it doesn't mean you're unacquainted with the current circumstances. Jesus said this sickness shall not end in death. He said essentially, no, Lazarus is in the midst of a temporary situation. All of this is faith speaking. This circumstance is temporal. But he says, for y'all, I got to explain this. No, physically, this is what's going on with him. He has died. Now, it's very similar to saying, you know, I'm believing God for this amount of money. I'm believing God for this amount of money. I'm believing God for this amount of money so we can do something for the kingdom of God. Somebody says, well, Reverend, what's in the church account? If I give you this big number and you go, you say, well, that ain't in that Reverend line. No, my faith said we're believing for this number, but I can tell you, and I'm still in faith, what the reality is. Faith does not mean I'm unacquainted with the current reality. Faith means I don't let the current reality define my faith. Let me give you a case in point. Once again, using a natural example. I'm not moved by the number of people that are here or not here because my faith says we have a great church in Gastonia. And one day my faith will see the manifestation of what we've been believing God for. But in the meantime, somebody said, well, how many people showed up? If I tell them another number, then that's called lying. Okay. And this is where the rub is, again, where we're talking about faith. It doesn't mean that you're unacquainted with the current reality. But I am believing God, and I'm believing that it's done right now. Jesus says, Lazarus is in a temporary state first. But he says to his disciples, which fully do not understand how to walk by faith, look, boys, he's dead physically right now. Verse number 15. And then watch this, because this is interesting. He says, verse 15, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe, come, let's go to him. Now, verse 15 is very interesting. He says, I stayed essentially those two days that we just read about. It was for the sake of those that were with him. You know, sometimes that's the reason why God makes us wait, because it's for the sake of those that are with you. 
He got to get them in faith. So sometimes God says, I want you to wait because when I do it, it's going to be for my glory. And that's for why that's the reason why you got to wait, because I'm lining up some stuff. And I want you to stay in faith because when it happens, it's going to be for my glory. And it's also going to be for the benefit of those people that are assigned to watch you. Now watch this. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. And then it indicates to us that the disciples also can be people that with you that ain't really with you. They're walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, living with Jesus. But we all are not on the same page yet. Proximity to someone with faith does not mean you have faith yourself. This is, this is exposed right here. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there because had we got up, went down to Lazarus' house, and, and we watched Lazarus die, y'all have been looking at me saying, but didn't Jesus say this sickness will not end in death? Jesus, what happened? Jesus said, I'm glad we weren't there because we are not on the same page yet. I need y'all to get where I am. Verse number 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Now, we all know what happens to Thomas. He called Doubting Thomas in the latter part of the book of John, right? I believe it's called unbelieving Thomas. <laughs> really, it's a more accurate word. But it says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go and die with Jesus. Thomas is really a trip. Now, I'm, every... Let's just go all die together. Now, didn't Jesus get done saying just a minute ago, this sickness will not end in death. Thomas said, let's all just go with Jesus and die. Once again, we are not on the same page yet. Verse 17, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Uh, he, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave four days, four days. So he stayed where he was two days. Four days, I don't know if it was the journey or... All together, let's perhaps say that because they couldn't call via cell phone like we got today. Let's say it took two days for the messengers to get where Jesus was. And then maybe it took two more days for them to get where they were. So approximately four days in which Lazarus was dead, he was graveyard dead, and it was it as far as everybody was concerned. Verse number 18, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Verse number 19, and many of the people had come to consult Martha and Mary in their loss. Verse 20, Mary got the word that Jesus was coming. She went to meet him and, G and uh, Mary, I'm sorry, Martha went to meet him, and Mary, but Mary stayed in the house. Mary stayed in the house. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And this is what it looks like for a lot of us. Lord, if you hadn't been here, if you had just been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have got the way it was. And this is the reason why I want to say to you once again, Jesus said this sickness will not end in death. But the next thing that happened was it did seem to result in death or the circumstance changed. So do not be surprised that when you start declaring the word of God by faith that the circumstance does not get better, it gets worse. Because the circumstance wants to dictate to you over what God said. It will look bad. It will look like it's lifeless, but your faith is alive if you stay in the position of the winner's position, which is the position of faith. 
He says, but now, verse 22, but now, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother, you know, your friend, he wouldn't have died. But I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. What is that? Jesus still speaking faith. Your brother will rise again. Notice again, there's a progression. Calling things that be not as though they were. Jesus speaks the, be the end from the beginning. He says, this is a temporal situation or he's asleep. The next thing he says, when he's talking to the grieving sister, he doesn't change his position of faith. He says, your brother will rise again. Faith speaks. Whatsoever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Verse 24, Jesus, um, yes, Martha, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now, this is a good religious answer. And this is what you get, particularly when you start walking by faith and getting around religious folks. Again, they want to sound like they're in faith because they've been to some good church up the street, but they ain't there. sometimes they ain't with you. And she wasn't. She said, that's right, Lord. You said we all going to rise one day. Jesus is not talking about one day. He's talking about something getting ready to happen. And when I'm in faith for something, I don't believe something getting ready to happen. Don't, don't be talking about, yeah, in the by and by, God's going, no, 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 you go over here. Because we're not in agreement. And that's part of the problem sometimes. You got to get somebody in agreement with you. Y'all got to be on the same page if we're going to be in agreement. You believe for the by and by, God will. I'm believing for the right now. We got to be on the same page. Verse 25, and that's part of the reason why, you know, in our houses, some things don't manifest sometimes because wife is this way, husband is this way. We ain't in agreement. We got to keep continuing to talk. We got to continue to get on the same page. We get on the same page, our mouth gets on the same page, manifestation begins to happen. So long as we're not on the same page, then God can get involved in your situation. Verse 25, watch this. He says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Verse 26, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? So he's trying to get her back in faith. And sometimes that's what you got to do. When, particularly because I've been in a situation, you know, I'm believing in this area. Everybody said, that's right, right, he will, he will. Okay, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's get a couple scriptures so we can all get on the same page. And this is what Jesus is essentially saying to Martha. Let me, let me give you the word. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this? You believe this? Let's get back over here in this area of faith instead of me getting in doubt or unbelief with you. Verse 27. And sometimes even in your organizations, that's the reason why sometimes you got to continue to talk about the vision. Continue to talk about the vision. Continue to talk about the vision. That's one of the things God kept telling me. Continue to talk about the vision. Continue to talk about the vision. Because the more you talk about it, the more the people will hear the vision. And that's why we go over This is the goal of the church. This is the vision of the church. This is the mission of the church. In your organization, go over and over and over again. Because when people in your organization begin saying, well, I, I don't know, nothing happening. Well, get back where we are in faith. <laughs> Let's all get back on the same page. This is what Jesus said. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Get back on the same page with me. Jesus said, watch that. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who 
has come into the world from God. Verse 28, for the sake of time, I'm going to speed up a little bit. Then Jesus returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher, the teacher, he, she says, is here and wants to see you. And Mary immediately went to him. So Mary gets out of the state of grief and crying and goes to Jesus. And Jesus has stayed outside the village at a place where Martha met him. Verse 31, when, G, when the people who were with who were at the house consoling Mary saw she was leaving so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. And so they followed her there. And that's exactly sometimes what will happen. You know, when you get into a place of grief, people will meet you in grief. And then you want to get up and get into this area, maybe perhaps of faith. They want to meet you at that same place and, and bring the grief where you are. Sometimes you almost got to tell people, nothing, just look, I'm just going to go on for a little bit. Because y'all can't, once again, you can't be in faith with me. I need you over here for a little bit. Because I don't need you to bring that where I'm trying to get away from. Because people will. Oh, we just bring it over here with you. This is what we're doing over here? No, I'm, I'm leaving for a reason, guys. Verse 31. And when the people saw who were at the house, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 32. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell on Fell, on, fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. Now, interesting, a deep anger welled up within him. What is he mad about? Verse number, uh, keep going, he says, and he was deeply troubled. He says, verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest scripture in the Bible, then Jesus wept. I submit to you, he says, according to this scripture, that it's a holy cry here because he said that he, uh, uh, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled because something's getting ready to happen. He saw what took place. And you know, sometimes, because uh, it happens, you know, when you are able to see spiritually, that somebody's under attack, there's a righteous anger that comes on the inside of you when you're in faith, to take authority of situations and circumstances because you see they're under the oppression of the devil. Let me keep going, verse 36. And the people were standing nearby, see how much he loved him. So the people see Jesus crying, they say, see, he loved him too. Totally different perspective. 37, but some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Now we're moving into this area of criticism now. Jesus, you know, you know, couldn't he have, why in the world did Lazarus die? He healed blind people. And this is what they'll say. Well, she was in faith. Seemed like it got worse. They believe in God. Seemed like everybody walked off. Because one of the things that, that you understand and, you, and the more you walk by faith, and like I said, everybody's not going to be on the same page with you. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with stone, uh, with a stone uh, rolled across the entrance. In verse 39, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. So Jesus shows up. He's angry, a righteous anger. He says loudly, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Mary, I'm sorry, but Martha uh, the dead man's sister protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days and he smells so, uh, he will, he will smell terrible. So she's still not in faith. 
Now Jesus shows up and says, God, I'm getting ready to do something. There's a supernatural manifestation that's getting ready to happen. Mary, Martha, on the other hand, said, Boy, if you, if you roll a stone out, he's going to be stinking. So she's still not on the same page with Jesus. Verse number 40, and Jesus, said, Jesus responds to, Mary, to Martha. He said, did I not tell you that you would see God's glory? Notice, if you believe. If you believe. And that's the issue. Jesus is illustrating to us the process of faith, calling things that be not as though they were. He's showing you that when you start getting in faith, people are not going to necessarily be on the same page with you. Right up to the point of manifestation, they still don't believe. Verse 41, he says, and so they rolled the stone aside and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, watch the term. I think this is important. Thank you for hearing me. I think the uh, King James said, thank you that I know that you always hear me. He says, watch verse, verse 42. You always hear me. Well, when did he hear him? When he said the other day, essentially, this sickness shall not end in death. That's when Father God heard him. He says, I thank you, God, essentially, that you always hear me. But I said it loud, loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. So then we see something here. They're walking with Jesus, but they don't believe in who he said he was. They're walking with Jesus, but they don't believe that he can do this particular area. Why, Lord, didn't you do this? Why? They're not in agreement. But Jesus is showing us, once again, this is how you walk out your faith. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands um, and feet bound in grave cloths, uh, his feet wrapped in a uh, head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So they walk into manifestation because what Jesus spoke, Jesus saw. What Jesus calling those things to be not as though they were, not being moved by the circumstances, he saw manifestation that gave God glory, gave Father God glory. We saw just a few minutes ago from the very beginning of Romans chapter 4, strong faith gives glory to God. Strong faith gives glory to God. So weak faith must not give God glory. He shows us how you walk this thing called faith. Don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by the fact that things may be getting worse. Be moved by what you say. Have your heart established and stay in this area of faith and you will see manifestation. Now, what is doubt? What is doubt? Because in the process, Jesus could have easily moved to this area of doubt when he kept hearing the circumstance change. When he saw the tears of the people that were around him, doubt can be a result of simply having a lack of knowledge. Doubt means I am simply unsure. It can be the result of being unsure that God will for me. Doubt can be or I've given other things more attention than God's word. So I'm not sure, essentially, that's what doubt is. And we see with Abraham, he had multiple times in his life where he was unsure. Every time he was unsure, what God did was he said, I am your shield. I'm going to give you a covenant. I'm going to give you something that allows your doubt to be flushed out. God always gives us something. 
When he tells you, go this way, go that way. I want you to stand in this area of faith. He always gives you something. He'll give you a word. He'll give you a promise. He'll, he'll give you something else that you can continue to look at that allows your unsureness to dissipate. Now, by the same balance, though, what is unbelief? We see these folks that are with Jesus in slam unbelief because they don't think that he can do this. Unbelief is different from doubt, which is the reason why the Bible says that he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but it doesn't say through doubt. Abraham did doubt, but he didn't operate in this area of unbelief. Unbelief is a system, a way of thinking that is in opposition to God. Let me make this a little bit more practical. This is when you have been with Jesus long enough and you choose not to believe. This is what Thomas was like, Lord, we just all go down there and we can just die with Jesus. You've been with me long enough and you still haven't moved to an area of belief. He said, I'm glad we weren't down there those last couple days when Lazarus died because y'all still are in a position where you have a mindset that is in opposition to what I said. That's unbelief. Unbelief can manifest in another way whereby you know, you had a church hurt or a situation and now you've decided, I'm going to turn away from God. Unbelief. The Bible actually calls unbelief an evil heart of unbelief because it's an act of the will to disregard and not believe God. It's something that you choose to walk in. Doubt, on the other hand, is, a, is an area where I'm just unsure. I'm not sure. And you can eradicate doubt by getting more substantiation, more evidence, more information. You can, that's how you, this is how you get doubt out of your system. Unbelief, on the other hand, is different because it has to be repented of. You got to change the way you think. I've always thought this way. Or I used to believe that, Reverend, but I had a situation that happened in my life, and I don't want to believe that no more. I'm mad. That is an act of your will, not to believe God. Practical applications, I'm going to say this, and uh, we're going to run through this, and we're going to close, because I know it's getting late. <clears throat> never think that you are in faith. Number one, never think you are in faith because uh, you are simply acting like faith people. Never think you're in faith because you're acting like faith people. The devil can tell the difference between whether or not you are in faith or not. That's the reason why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourself, whether, uh, examine yourself whether ye be in faith. Prove your own self. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. Part I want to examine real quick is examine yourself. We should constantly be examining where am I in regards to my faith. Can I believe God for the ordinary? Or am I simply trying to believe God for the extraordinary and I can't believe him for the daily bread in my life? I'm worried about the daily bread and God saying, I got to get this area shored up in your life so that that thing that I showed you, when you come and start reaching for that, you won't be intimidated by it. Never think that you're in faith because you are simply acting like church folk, if you will. Know where you really are. Number two, your faith will be tested and authenticated so you should know where you are. So you should know where your current faith is because you need to know that it's going to be tested. That's going to happen. It's normal. Jesus said the end from the beginning. Immediately, what happened? Lazarus somewhere else, they don't know about it. He's dying. The situation got worse. 
your, your faith will be tested. Number three, God will never permit your faith to be tested, though, beyond your ability to pass the test. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 basically indicates that. So if there's a test that's in my life, I have the capacity to pass this test. So stop freaking out at the circumstance. If something is getting worse, the reason why it can get worse is because God says you're able to pass that test. Don't you change from your position of faith because the situation changed. The end will manifest just like you said if you don't move. That's why having done all to stand, stand. Don't you move from the victorious position that you stand in to move into defeat by changing your mouth, changing your faith, and responding in fear. Number four. Overcoming doubt comes through time and attention given to God choosing to believe. That's exactly what you got to do. I choose to believe. The circumstance is looking bad. Oh, Jesus, it's looking bad. What I got to do is I got to flood the zone. This is what you got to do. I remember, dear God, at the time, I remember, see, I, when, I, when I had COVID, it was before the vaccinations. And I remember they called one night after my wife and I got tested. And we've been in a car getting tested, uh, and they said, she's negative, but you're positive. I remember at the time, man, I felt fear on the inside of me. Like I said, this is before the vaccination. This is when people were dying. And fear began to strike my body on the inside of me. And I said, no, no, we got to turn the TV off. I can't, I don't want to hear nothing else about these numbers and statistics and all this. Turn that off. I don't want, I know we ain't watching no doctor shows where people die. We ain't doing nothing. Cut all that off. Cause right now I got to get focused attention. I got to make sure this area of doubt eradicates out of my heart because now I got to have a focused attention on what God said about health and healing. He said his word is life and health to all those that find it. So I got to have a focused attention because I don't have time to let foolishness in my heart at this time when I'm believing God for my healing. Unbelief, number five, for the sake of time. Overcoming doubt, number four, we said, overcoming doubt comes about through time and attention to God choosing to believe. I choose to believe what God said. This is what the Bible says about Sarah. She chose to believe God over her natural circumstances. Number five, and we're close. Unbelief is not a moment of distrust. Unbelief, though, unlike doubt, is not a moment of distrust, but a build of a new belief system requiring repentance. Unbelief is not doubt. So you don't have to worry about that. You say, oh, I'm getting into the area of unbelief. No, no, you're probably in the area of doubt because you still believe in God's ability in that area in your life. So you're probably in the area of doubt which you just need to flood the zone with the word of God so that you can strengthen your area of faith. But if you're in the area of unbelief where I disregard, you heard people say, I don't want to hear that. You say, well, the word says this. I don't hear that because they are a person that have moved to a position where I choose not to believe you, God. I don't want to hear that no more. I don't hear all that faith stuff. I tried it, it don't work. And I will show you this, Hebrews 3 and verse 12, really quick. It says, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And that's exactly what happens when you're in unbelief. You departed from the living God for a different belief system. Remember what we said back at Christmas. When you say you will believe, or to say you believe, means it's, it, it is a behavioral change, physical and emotional. 
It means that you have to have endurance. It means that you have a lifestyle, which means I allow my life to correspond with the faith that I say that I have. It means that you have to have integrity. I'm going to stick with it. God, you'll, you can see that I'm going to be here doing the same thing. Integrity linked to this area of faithfulness. It means to operate in excellence. God, I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing the best of my ability. It means to continue to have vision of the future, if you will. I know that is out of order. <laughs> That's how my notes are at the second. When we say that we're going to walk by faith, that means that we're going to have to be people that choose God over what you see. Choose to stay in faith over the conditions changing. Choose to stick with the promises even though you may not be seeing anything right now. And if you do that, you will see manifestation of maybe a, a dead situation or circumstance rise in your life. If you stay in the position of faith, pray. Father, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor for tonight's word. Lord, we choose to believe. You can count us faithful as those that will walk by faith and not by sight. We are those, Lord, that decided as an act of our will that we are going to make living by faith a lifestyle and not an event. And so, Lord, for that, we already say with our mouth, God, receive glory from our lives. Receive glory from our lives. Receive glory from the directions that you are giving us. Receive glory from the manifestation that others will be able to see. Because we are people that are of the kingdom that decide to live in the kingdom system, which is walking and living by faith. Now, God, we just pray that you would do, that you cultivate this area of relationship with you. Give attention to you. I give attention to your word. Give attention to your ways and your methods, God. We pray, Lord, that our faith grows stronger, our reliance on you grows stronger, and we'll, we'll look back next year and see how far we are and say, Lord, I didn't think we'd get this far, but we, we, we believe you differently this year than we did last year. And we'll continue on this journey of faith as our relationship of reliance on you grows, our doubt and unbelief dissipates out of our life, and Lord, we'll begin to see your glory manifestation so that others can see it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone did say amen. Praise the Lord.